Well, you can turn your Bible to the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Look at the first three verses this morning in a new series um, on the book. It's a new year. Uh, 2020 seems really far into the future. Uh, so we're looking at a book that is uh, it's kind of about the future in some points and uh, uh, has to do with that in our minds. And it is a, a prophecy of things, at least, that were future to John. And uh, so it's like we're going into the future together. Um, uh, here we are at the grand finale of all the scriptures. This book can be really confusing. It can be controversial, so much so, in fact, that uh, Martin Luther, who, I mean, you can't find somebody with a greater respect for the scriptures than Martin Luther. Martin Luther himself suggested that people should pretty much give up on this book and remove it from the Bible, one of the books that he thought uh, could be done away with without uh, really harming the church. <clears throat> well, we can't do that. Uh, we can't get rid of this book. The church has always recognized it to be God's word, and just because it might be difficult doesn't mean that we should shy away from it. Um, that's sort of a pep talk for myself because I've been afraid <laughs> of uh, going to a book like this. Uh, but we're going to do it. We're going to get into it. I think once we get into it, we'll see how helpful it really is. And in fact, that's probably the main thing I want to talk about this morning, that Revelation is helpful. Revelation is relevant. Uh, that you could even say that it's practical. Revelation is practical. Uh, today, we're going to take just the first three verses of the prologue, and we're going to do a basic introduction to the book as a whole. I don't plan to just take three verses at a time uh, all the way through the book. Uh, even if I did, that's like worst-case scenario for you, I think. Even if I did, it would only take like two and a half years <laughs> to get through this. Uh, so don't worry. It'll be all right. <clears throat> um, anyway, hopefully as we, as we uh, get into this introduction of the book uh, this morning, you'll see what I mean when I say that Revelation is relevant, that it can be helpful to us. So let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we always need help as we come to your word. Uh, some parts more than others uh, in terms of our just being able to understand it. But all parts, as, um, as they are the word that comes from you, and we're the kind of people we've already confessed in our confession of sin to be suspicious of you and your revelation and your authority but here you've spoken to us, you've given us this word, and you've done it for our good. And so we pray that we would receive it as good for us and helpful in our relationship with you. We pray that we would be changed by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He, Jesus made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, there are some ways in which I think of Revelation, kind of like the old 1939 film, uh, The Wizard of Oz. Has anybody else ever thought of it that way uh, here? You read the book of Revelation? If you do, if you go home and read it. Go read it all at once. Uh, read it all at once. That's how it's best read, I think. Um, but it, it reminds me of The Wizard of Oz, that old movie. I, I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Uh, the film starts out 
And one of the, the most profound things about it in its uh, position in sort of cinematic history is it starts out in black and white. Right? It's this, this movie that starts out in the black and white of the very ordinary world of Kansas. That black and white is meant to actually portray how, how ordinary and mundane the world of Kansas is. Until this tornado comes and sweeps Dorothy off to the land of Oz, where everything is suddenly in vivid, dramatic technicolor. And it's one of these transitional movies. It's not, it's not exactly the first movie to employ the use of color, but, uh, but it's, it's pretty much the big one. And, uh, and so it goes from black and white to technicolor. <clears throat> and it's this magical world that they arrive in, uh, uh, Dorothy and her little dog. <clears throat> A magical world filled with brilliant scenery. Everything's just fascinating. It's filled with dangerous adventure where everything turns out to be symbolic. Everything there turns out to be symbolic and meaningful for Dorothy's regular old life back in Kansas. Uh, in Revelation, the Apostle John is swept up in a tornado uh, in, in the Holy Spirit. And he's whisked away from the world as he was familiar with it, so to speak. And he's given this technicolor vision of heavenly realities that have significance for this life, for his life, for the church's life in the regular old world, right? So the title of the book is, it comes from this very first word that appears in the original Greek. It's translated here as revelation. The title, that, that word, that Greek word is apocalypsis. Um, and this book is so definitive of its genre the way that this book is written, the way that this book communicates, it's, it's so definitive of the genre that the genre is named after it. The, it's the apocalyptic genre of literature. And it gets its name from this book, from the title of this book, The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> there are several places in the Old Testament prophets that are also written in this genre. Uh, most notably, probably, is uh, Daniel. But most of Revelation is written in this way, where you see this in, in some chapters of the Old Testament prophets. So the bulk of the book of Revelation is written in this genre. It's written in this way. So contrary to popular opinion, the word apocalyptic doesn't mean end of the world. You'll see that in dictionaries. Things that have to do with the end of the world. Um, that's, that's not what this means. Uh, the word apocalyptic means revealing. It means unveiling. Literally, the, the Greek word apocalypsis is, is like a compound of two words, which means uh, uncovering. Uncovering. So, again, it, I think it's kind of like when Dorothy, <clears throat> back to the Wizard of Oz, and her companions uh, arrive after a, a difficult journey. They arrive at the em Emerald City, and they find the Wizard of Oz, the one that they've, they've been looking for. He's this great and powerful figure. He's surrounded by intimidating fire and smoke. And then they pull back the curtain to unveil the reality. And what they uncover is that he's just an ordinary man pulling levers behind this, this curtain. Just an ordinary old, old guy. Uh, pulling levers behind the scenes. And Revelation is like that, except it's, it's actually the reverse of that. <laughs> it's precisely the reverse. The world seems rather ordinary until God pulls back the curtain which is what he's doing in this apocalypse in this revelation 
he's revealing until God unveils and uncovers a vision of the tremendous spiritual realities that are at work behind the scenes of our earthly experiences. Right? So instead of uh, seeing this in Wizard of Oz, this tremendous figure here that, that really, when you pull back the curtains, is just an ordinary guy. It's, you just see these ordinary things, but really when you pull back the curtain, it's these great, tremendous spiritual realities at work. And that's the vision that Jesus is giving to his servant John. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a lot like, there's this other place in the scriptures, it's, it's exactly like it. Uh, in Second Kings chapter 6, when Syria came to war against God's people. Uh, and there are so many parallels with the, what's happening in Revelation with this story, but I can't point them all out. Uh, Syria comes to war with God's people, Israel. And their army is arrayed around the city of Dothan, which is the, the prophet's city, the, 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 the great prophet Elisha. He's the, maybe the, one of the greatest prophets that Israel's ever seen. This army is arrayed around his city, and the prophet, his servant, is terrified because he looks out and he sees this great Syrian army just on their doorstep. I'm like, how are we going to get out of this? What he sees with his own eyes. Um, the end is nigh, is what he's thinking. <clears throat> so the prophet, the great prophet, says to his servant, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And if you were the servant just looking out over the landscape, you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> because here we are surrounded by this great Syrian army. But then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So God pulled back the curtain and made him able to see the invisible spiritual realities that were at work behind what was visible. Meanwhile, on the other hand, the Syrians, the enemies, were struck with blindness, which led to their defeat. So in, in Revelation, the dramatic vividness of this vision it's meant to engage you fully. It's meant to fire your imagination. It's meant to startle us out of any spiritual lethargy. To catch us up in wonder at the realities, the spiritual realities, God's work behind the scenes. It's meant to bolster our courage with its majestic grandeur. It's meant to evoke a response of persistent faithfulness. That's why it was written, to evoke a response of persistent faithfulness. Very simply, Revelation is a pastoral letter, just like all the other letters in the New Testament, really. Like all the other letters that the apostles write, it's written to, to churches. It's addressed to churches to help the churches to persevere and to participate in the life of Jesus. To continue to do that by faith in the face of trials like persecutions and false teachings and just spiritual apathy. And it's helpful. It's helpful to the churches. It's helpful to us as a church and as Christians. Ultimately, 
Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a profound vision of the centrality of Jesus Christ in everything God is doing. And and it's a profound vision of the ramifications of the victory of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we need in order to persevere in our faith and to continue to participate in his life. We need a vision. We need a revelation where Jesus Christ is at the heart of it. And so we have that. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this can be taken in two ways. Um, the, the, that word of, the little word of, it could be a little bit ambiguous. You can uh, interpret it in a couple different ways. And knowing how John writes, which, by the way, um, you know, we've gone through John's gospel. We've gone through the first letter uh, over the years uh, of John. I love John's writings. Maybe best of all, I really like the way that he writes. And he writes deliberately in ambiguous ways. I think we should take it in both ways. First, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ can mean that it's the revelation from Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus is the one doing the revealing. It can be the one, uh, the revelation from him, which considering the immediate context of these verses is probably the, the weight of the, the interpretation is on that. <clears throat> But secondly, it can also mean that it's the revelation about Jesus Christ. The revelation of him. And so, uh, about him. It, <clears throat> and considering the whole of the book, uh, this ultimately is also in view. But it's the revelation from Jesus Christ. That's the main uh, way that it's probably being used here in these verses in the prologue. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to Jesus says, which the Father gave to him in order to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So like the prophet Elisha asking God to show his servant the angelic army that was going to encourage him, the great prophet Jesus received from God the ability to show his servants, so John, and then also those in the churches. And I think that means including us. The great prophet shows his servants the spiritual realities at work in current events, in events that were just beginning to unfold here for the church. And Jesus himself stands at the heart of these visions, the significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ for these events which were unfolding is exactly what his servants need to see. Right? So, um, so I'm going to give a brief and controversial summary of what John is talking about when he says that this is about the things that must soon take place. This is probably one of the, the main points of contention among all the scholars, all the people who uh, get an angry debate about what is this book even about. It's about the things that must soon take place. Well, what are those? Uh, I'm going to come down on something. It's, it's controversial because it dictates how we interpret the whole book, and that's precisely what all the commentators disagree about. So, um, but I think it's pretty simple, actually, and it makes the best sense of everything, and it actually establishes the helpfulness of Revelation to us. Here it is, the Apostle John, and that's the same one who wrote the Gospel and the Epistles, not some other John. He wrote this pastoral letter, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, probably in the early to mid-60s, A.D., which is a controversially early date. And he wrote it to encourage the churches who were facing increasing persecution from the Romans and the Jews, primarily. It's the immediate 
application of this book, the persecution they were facing that was increasing from the Romans and from the Jews. And the main cataclysm that's described by the phrase, the things that must soon take place, was the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70, so later that decade, uh, and the fallout from this that the church would have to endure and the way that that would change their world. And I know that, that even that little, little bit of a summary might generate a lot of questions, uh, and I'm not going to answer all of them in this introduction, but one big question might be, well, if this mostly had to do with something that all happened and was done with like 2,000 years ago, how could it be relevant to us today? And uh, you should ask that same question of the Old Testament historical books, if you're going to ask that question. How can what happened to, to the Davidic kingdom 3,000 years ago that's recorded in those historical books, how can that be relevant to us today? Or you could ask it actually more appropriately uh, of the Old Testament prophetic books. Probably a better analogy because Revelation is a prophetic book and it does have some visions of the future that are recorded in it, and the apocalyptic genre is common to these writings, how do the warnings of judgment and the calls for repentance for Israel, God's people, 2,500 years ago, how do they apply to us today so long after the events of the Assyrian invasion or the Babylonian captivity? Well, they do apply, and they are helpful even though these are big cataclysmic events that are over and done with. They do apply. So, so Paul writes in Romans 15, he says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Whatever was written and seems immediately ap applicable to those people hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, it also helps us. It also helps us today. It helps us with endurance and encouragement and hope. This is the kind of help that we get from this pastoral letter uh, that was written to young churches in Asia Minor facing a, a very particular set of historical challenges. We learn about the endurance and the encouragement and the hope that are to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ as it applies to particular events in the life of the people of God. We can learn from that, and we can apply that in our lives. Maybe that doesn't seem... Like it can possibly be very relevant to you. You're having a difficult time drawing the connections. How is this relevant? If your idea of what is relevant is limited to things like, how can I get a better job? How can I set myself up to retire more comfortably? How can I make my kids successful in life? If you give me answers to those questions, then I'll think you're being relevant. If that's your idea of relevance, then the revelation of Jesus Christ will probably seem irrelevant to you. The revelation of Jesus Christ is relevant, but as with all the scriptures, it properly redefines what is relevant for God's people. What's most relevant to those who belong to Christ? What is most relevant to us? in the church. It's how to live with God and how to live for God when we're tempted to spiritual lethargy and ap apathy and complacency or compromise. It's how to live with God and for God in a world 
that really is hostile to God, it really is antagonistic to his people, sometimes openly and violently so. It's how to live with God and for God in a world where it's easy to be overwhelmed by the visible evil and the chaos and where it looks like the kingdom of God is weak and being defeated. How to live with God and for God in a world like this, that's what's relevant. And that's what Revelation inspires us to do as it pulls back the curtains and gives us a spiritual, symbolic vision. Symbolic, uh, immediately applicable to historical events that were just about to happen in John's lifetime and in the lifetime of those churches, but applicable and symbolic also of things that are common, that the church faces commonly in the world. So that symbolism, that's one thing that everyone needs to understand about how Revelation is written. Right? It's symbolic. There's a lot of symbolism. It employs it everywhere. In fact, that's indicated right off the bat in this prologue. In, in verse 1, it says, Jesus made it known. And that word, for made it known, uh, that, that word in the Greek is not sort of a generic word. There's a, there's a, there is a generic word, or maybe even two generic words, for making something known. <clears throat> and it's, it's not that. It actually is a word that can be translated signified. Jesus signified. And that is related to the word that's used in the Gospels for the miraculous signs that Jesus did in order to reveal who he really is. So the signs that he did, they pointed to things about him. They symbolized things about him. And this is the same style of communication that we have in the Revelation. That, That is like our... Uh, our Old Testament reading from Daniel 2, which Rob read, uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar dreams and visions that were meant to signify the things which were going to take place uh, in the latter days, is what they were talking about. And we'll probably return to that chapter and the content of those, those dreams uh, over the course of this series, so I'm not going to really talk about it much right now, but Daniel came along, as we read in that, in that Old Testament reading, He came along and he explained the meanings of the symbols and he said, God's the one who reveals stuff like this. This is the work of God. This is how he works. He gives you dreams and visions and he explains it. He gives you symbols that mean something, that signify something. And the things which were made known at that time to them were in the distant future, in the latter days, in the end, right? And now these things were imminent and beginning to unfold in Jesus' time. There are things that are going to soon take place, and the time is near. So Jesus gave this vision to John, and he did it by sending his angel. It says in uh, verse 1, by sending his angel. So Peter Lightheart, uh, I gave you a list of, uh, uh, on the, of the church blog, and I think I linked to it in the email newsletter this week. A list of recommended resources. There's a lot of resources there. Probably a lot of them are too expensive to, to just collect them all. Um, and, and there's one by G.K. Beale, which is excellent. There's one by Peter Lightheart, which I'm finding is very great. And, uh, uh, you know, if you could afford it, I'd recommend it. <clears throat> but it's expensive. Uh, but he makes a great argument that Christ's angel, when it says that he, Jesus gave this revelation by sending his angel to John, Uh, He makes the argument that Christ's angel is the Holy Spirit. After all, angel means messenger. doesn't necessarily mean 
just those literal beings that we think of as angels, uh, necessarily. <clears throat> it means messenger. And Jesus said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit for this purpose. Right? He said it in John's Gospel, chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And that's what we have happening here at the beginning of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Several times in Revelation, the visions begin when it says John is in the Spirit. And the letters to the seven churches are what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit is prominent. The whole Trinity is prominent. So the Father gives Jesus this revelation, and Jesus sends it by the messenger, by the Holy Spirit. And it's a good Trinitarian kickoff to a book that's filled with visions of the Trinity. And it's written by the same apostle who also wrote so much about the Trinity in both his original gospel and in his first epistle, John. John, who, it says in verse 2, bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. That language, he just uses it all the time. He uses it in the gospel, in the epistle. He it echoes the openings of those other books, and it picks up where he left off in the gospel. It's kind of like a sequel. Uh, people are making the argument that, that the revelation of Jesus Christ is like a sequel to John's gospel, and there's a strong connection here. At the end of John's gospel, in chapter 21, the very last verses, it says about himself, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. It's all the same kind of language. <clears throat> and so... Um, so we have his testimony received from Jesus via the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So it's the first of um, seven blessings that you find in the book of Revelation. That number seven, you should just memorize it. <laughs> uh, if you haven't already, memorized the number seven. Uh, it's, it's very symbolic throughout the, the scriptures, really, but it's used so many times in the book of Revelation. It's used in the structure of Revelation. It's used to describe things, again, symbolically, uh, talking about the, the wholeness or the, the divine completion of things. It comes from that idea of the, the seven days of the week of creation uh, and the sense of fullness and purpose. Uh, and consummation that you get from, from that. So seven, it's the, this, this is the first of seven blessings that we find throughout the book. And really this right here, where it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and keep it, is the ulterior motive that I have for preaching on the book. Because it, it says right there, when I just read it aloud, <laughs> I'll be blessed. It says, when you read it aloud, we'll be blessed. And so will you when you hear it and when you live by it. Not just hearing with sort of an empty faith, but hearing with the faith that, that moves you to live by it, that changes your life. Right? And John's saying, talk about this in public. Talk about this in the church. It'll help you. It'll help you. It'll be good for you. It'll help us to know how to live with God and how to live for God by keeping our vision full of Jesus. Keep our vision full of his kingdom and the way that he works and the things that he's doing by helping us to interpret things that happen in this ordinary old world 
in light of the spiritual realities that are revealed to be at work behind the scenes. That's how it's going to help you. It'll help us with our courageous proclamation of the gospel. That's a huge theme throughout the book of Revelation. To continue to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and bear witness to him. It'll help us with our faithfulness to Jesus. To just persevere in the faith. Just to stay Christians in a world like this. So here we are reading a prophecy that calls for a response. Here we are reading a pastoral letter. It's written in vivid technicolor that calls us to worship and serve the only one who's worthy and to receive the blessings and the glory and the victory that he shares in his admittedly strange ways, his ways that are difficult to understand apart from the revelation of Jesus. Here we are reading, it's the very revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us to to be convinced in our hearts and in our minds that uh, reading your word is good for us, that considering it together is good for us, that hearing it with faith and responding to it with faithfulness is good for us, that reading all of your word is good and relevant and practical, even if it's not in ways that, um, that we would automatically suspect or demand it to be relevant. But we pray that you would especially convince us that reading this word, this revelation of Jesus given to John and then given to the church through him, that this word uh, is helpful to us. We pray that you would show us that over the, the course of this series, but uh, even now, uh, we pray that you would uh, give us a, a passion for this word. Give us understanding of this word. Help us to um, seek you out in this word, this revelation. Uh, inspire us. Inspire each one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, to take up your, your word and to read it and to be changed by it through the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.